Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 221 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming to you from Austin, Texas, and I'm excited to welcome a guest to today's show. I've got author and somatic educator Sarah Warren joining the show. You might remember me talking about somatic movement therapy in episode 216 when I came back in the new year. It's something I discovered actually on my two-month break, and it's something that helped me through a heel injury that I was dealing with and opened up my eyes to a new area of thinking as it relates to running injuries and how to deal with them. So I'm excited to have gotten Sarah on. She's the book. She's the author of the book that I read while I was on my break. That book is called The Pain Relief Secret, How to Retrain Your Nervous System, Heal Your Body, and Overcome Chronic Pain, which you can find on Amazon. Pretty interesting stuff. And as I said, kind of opened my eyes to a new way of thinking as it relates to dealing with movement issues, which could be injuries, could be tightness, could simply be your body capturing containing stress that you need to let go and release. So we'll get to my conversation with Sarah in a minute. I think you'll find it fascinating. Before we get there, just a couple of quick things. First of all, I've got a mid-roll ad in today's episode for my partnership with Care Of, and you'll be able to, if you haven't yet taken advantage of the offer they've provided to get 50% off your first order, you'll be able to do so by using the code ROGUE50 at TakeCareOf.com. I'll talk more about that in the middle of my interview with Sarah. Secondly, wanted to give a shout out to Outdoor Track Meets. A little earlier in the season than we normally see them, but obviously for COVID reasons, we're keeping some of these meets outdoors and ever in order to keep everybody safe. And the Bowerman Track Club, which has been doing altitude training in Flagstaff, they had a meet in Phoenix. And it was just a simple, straightforward meet with four events, two 800s, two 3,000 meter events men's and women's, and all four races, as you might expect, were won by the Bowerman Track Club. But some of those races were won by new athletes to that group. Josh Thompson, who is a veteran of the Bowerman Track Club, won the men's 800. The women's 800 was won by newcomer to the group, Sinclair Johnson. And then the 3K was won, and on the men's side was won by newcomer Mark Scott, Grant Fisher took second in that one, and then the women's 3K was won by newcomer Gabriella Stafford-Debuse. So four events, short and sweet meet with four Bowerman Track Club winners, but you also had other athletes, including Corey McGee and Danny Jones from the boss group, Team Boss, was there they were there competing and so you at least had a mix of other athletes there El Purrier was also there from New Balance Boston she was second in the women's eight so it was a interesting short and sweet meet and the format raised a lot of discussion on Twitter about how track meets should be structured and posed keeping meets short and sweet like this perhaps limiting the number of events maybe even grouping the meets by type of event distance, sprint, field, etc., in order to shorten the attention span required and perhaps increase the interest. So an interesting concept born out of the pandemic that may find legs as we continue past it. 
we shall see. But it's good to get outdoor track action happening. Excited to see what this Olympic year brings as we progress. But we've already got outdoor meets and it's only February. So it's got to be exciting from here. We shall see. So that's what I've got for intro today. Let's jump into my conversation with Sarah Warren. Again, she's an author and somatic educator. Her book is called The Pain Relief Secret, How to Retrain Your Nervous System, Heal Your Body, and Overcome Chronic Pain. It's a book I read on my two-month break, and I'm excited to share this concept and philosophy with you. I don't think it's necessarily a silver bullet to solve all of your problems, but it is another type of thinking, another ideology to add to your toolkit that could potentially help you address potential running injuries you may face. So with that as our intro, let's jump in with Sarah. Here we go. Welcome, Sarah Warren, to the Running Rogue podcast. How are you doing today, Sarah? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Excited to have you. As a running coach, it's not often that being well-read that I uncover completely new territory, but your book, as I mentioned in the intro, is completely new territory, completely new way of thinking about how the body works and and particularly how to deal with running injury. So I'm excited to have been able to twist your arm to come on the show. Mm-hmm. I do want to make sure people check out your book because it is pretty powerful. It's called The Pain Relief Secret, How to Retrain Your Nervous System, Heal Your Body, and Overcome Chronic Pain. And I would say it's about pain, but it's also about more than that. It's really about finding that mind-body balance that can make you a happy, healthy human, but also make you a happy, healthy runner. So we're going to dig into all of that, and I'm excited to also share a little bit about my journey and how your book helped me. But I want to start with you, Sarah, and just talk a little bit about your background and how did you come to understanding something about clinical somatics and then ultimately writing a book about it? Sure. So um, I started out as a ballet dancer um, when I was in middle school, high school, and college. Um, Ballet was my life. I trained really seriously. And unfortunately, I kind of came into it with tight hips. So my turnout wasn't that great naturally. And and so in order to force my turnout, you know, get my toes pointing outward, I had to uh, tip my pelvis forward, arch my lower back to let my hips rotate out. And that just resulted over time in some really tight lower back muscles, um, which is pretty common among dancers who have um, tight hips. So um, eventually this led to a couple of really bad back injuries um, when I was 18 and 21. Um, they were just terrible um, and they, they lasted for months um, before I could recover for them and really start dancing again. Um, and when I was 21, the second back injury was when I ended up quitting dancing. I just felt like I could never be happy and healthy um, if I kept getting injured like that. Um, so I moved on and started doing some different things with my life. and. I think it was about seven years later that I started feeling this need to get back to doing um, something really physical. You know, I, I love health and fitness. I started thinking about um, doing something professionally in that field. And I was thinking about yoga, Pilates, physical therapy, something like that. Um, and really one day I was just looking around online and I found um, clinical somatics and I'd never heard of it, um, which most people haven't. Um, and I could tell right away that it was different and it, and it intrigued me right away. Um, and so I bought Thomas Hanna's book, Somatics, which is his classic book about how he developed the method. And I read it and I was about five pages into it. And I 
said to myself, you know, this is it. This is exactly what I've been looking for. This is exactly how I always wanted to be able to train my body and retrain my muscles and release all my tension. I just didn't know how, you know, it was what I'd been looking for all along without knowing it. Um, and everything he said in the book just made so much sense. He had figured out how to um, retrain muscle memory and release all that chronic muscle, muscle tension that we build up over time. Um, so like six months later, I signed up for the professional training program. Um, and that was it. Yeah. It's been my life ever since. Wow. So what, what was your first experience with it? What were the first things you tried? Where was that aha moment when you actually started practicing some of the movement therapy? Sure. So, um, in Thomas Hanna's book, um, he does, and it was written like back in the eighties, I guess he published in 1990. Um, there are just these small black and white photos of some of the movements and these very brief descriptions of the movements. So when I had read the book, but hadn't started my training yet, I did try to do some of those exercises at home on my own, but I wasn't doing them right. And I knew I wasn't doing them right. And so I didn't really let that affect my thinking at all because everything he said in the book made so much sense to me. And um, what I learned later is that it's pretty darn impossible to learn these movements from pictures in a book, um, which is why I didn't bother including them in my book. I just linked to videos, which you'll see if you if you read my book, there are just links at the end of the book to the videos that are on my site because video and audio is what is what you need to, to practice the movements correctly. So I didn't learn how to do them correctly until I got to the professional training program for sure. Yeah. Um, and I could feel you know, pretty much right away, I could feel some, some big releases in my lower back. And it just feels so different when you're so used to having a certain amount of muscle tension in your body. And you're so used to standing in a certain way, you know, for me, my issue was this really arched lower back. When you start releasing that, it feels really weird. You know, your posture feels kind of off. Um, but it also feels amazing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, it's interesting to me how quickly, certain tension becomes normalized for us to the point where it feels like it's just the way it is. And, and then you start doing some of these things and I've done some of the exercises in your book and then suddenly everything changes and you're like, wow. So I had a similar aha moment reading your book as you did with Thomas Hanna's book in that I'm just was just surprised that I didn't know about it given some of the common sense, but also really innovative thinking elements that were in there. But I want to go back to the history because I think the history of this movement philosophy is really fascinating. Obviously, Thomas Hanna, you mentioned, is one of the premier thinkers in the U.S., but it goes well back before that. So give us a little bit of the history and evolution of of clinical somatics. Sure. And um, what I first want to kind of explain for your listeners is, is what a somatic movement is, kind of the general definition, then we'll get into specifics. Because um, the word somatic and soma, it's used a lot in the health and wellness industry now, and sometimes it's used correctly, sometimes it's kind of not. Um, but basically, if you focus all your attention inward on what you're feeling and sensing in your body as you move, <clears throat> that's a somatic movement. You can kind of turn anything into a somatic movement if you close your eyes and focus 100% of your attention inward on what you're feeling. Um, so in contrast, you know, an example is if you're in a fitness class and you're trying to copy the instructor's movement, or if you're looking in the mirror and trying to make your body move in a certain way to look a certain way, that's not somatic because you're focused on the external appearance, right? But if you close your eyes, focus on your internal experience of it, um, then it becomes a somatic movement. And that's what allows you to really 
retrain your nervous system at the most basic level and, and release these um, long held patterns that we develop. Um, so that's like a really general definition of, of a somatic movement. And then there are some people along the way who have developed um, very specific methods, their own, their own method of, of how to use somatic movements to release tension, to address certain health conditions, to, to change posture and movement. Um, and all these somatic educators kind of have their own perspective on it, but there's definitely a lineage. Um, I would say somatic education as we kind of know it in the West, in the US, started with um, FM Alexander, who developed his technique in like the um, early to mid 20th century. Um, and he was a vocal performer and he noticed that how he used his body while he was performing um, had a negative effect on his voice. Like he couldn't project as well as he wanted to and he would lose his voice. So he spent a long time in front of the mirror just kind of looking at how he was using his body and he figured out how to change his posture in order to let, um, let his voice come back and be able to use his voice properly. And so from that, he developed the Alexander technique, um, which works a lot with, um, with posture and proprioception to, um, to improve your function. And um, the next uh, really famous somatic educator that came along was Feldenkrais, which is probably the one that, that most people have heard of. Um, and Feldenkrais developed his method throughout the 20th century. And he had a background in engineering. So that's how he approached um, problems with the human body. And he had knee injuries. And so he took an engineering approach to it. You know, how was he using his body that created these knee injuries and how could he change the way he was using his body to um, let the knee injuries heal? And, you know, he figured it out. And from there, I think he developed, you know, over a thousand of these um, self-care movements that allowed people to um, retrain their habitual posture and movement. Um, and then, so Thomas Hanna was a student of, of Feldenkrais. So that's where his, his roots are. Um, so anyone who knows both method, methods might see some similarities between Feldenkrais and clinical somatics. But Thomas Hanna came to it and really wanted to take it a step further and really understand the science behind it. Because up until then, um, all these different forms of somatic movement and education had been very experiential. So people knew that they were recovering from health conditions and improving the way that they use their bodies, but they didn't necessarily know why. Um, and Thomas Hanna really wanted to figure out why. And fortunately, um, our knowledge of, of neurophysiology had progressed to that point that he was able to um, study it at a university and kind of figure out some of the reasons why this works. Thomas Hanna's story is fascinating because he was born in Waco, Texas, actually, mm -hmm. Texan, and was initially in ministry mm -hmm. and kind of approaching the the human body and mind from a religious perspective and then ultimately went on to study neuroscience and neurology it seems that like because of a fascination with how the mind work as it related to faith and that ultimately led him into somatics which was kind of a, a circuitous route but i think also meant that he brought a really unique perspective to the the thinking yeah, you know, and his perspective was really um, <clears throat> freedom and self-autonomy and the fact that, you know, we're all capable and we should um, rely on ourselves and take responsibility for our own health and functioning. Um, and when we're able to, that, to do that, then we're truly free because we don't have to rely on anybody else. And 
that's, you know, really the core philosophy of all somatic education is that you're taking responsibility for your own function and you're going inside and, and retraining yourself and figuring out what's going on inside you. Um, and so what Thomas Hanna um, learned when he started studying neurophysiology was he learned all about muscle memory and, you know, the way that we automatically and naturally um, develop muscle memory throughout our lives. And, you know, athletes think about it in, in terms of training themselves to do certain movements, you know, quickly and efficiently and with a lot of power, they're consciously working with their muscle memory. But, you know, for the average person, everyone's developing muscle memory every day, all the time throughout their lives, whether they want to or not. Um, our nervous system notices the movements that we choose to repeat every day. So for example, an example that a lot of people can relate to is um, sitting at a computer all day, right? We sit at a computer, a lot of us tend to round forward a little bit, you know, bring our hands toward the keyboard, maybe um, crane our neck forward to see the screen. And when we do that, our chest muscles and our abdominal muscles are a little bit contracted, whether you're aware of it or not, they are. Um, they're being brought into the shortened position. And if you sit like that all day, day after day, your nervous system notices and it wants to help you be efficient. So it starts making the contraction of those muscles automatic. And over time, you start retaining more and more of this muscle tension in your abs and your chest muscles um, all the time. And pretty soon, you're just stuck in that posture all the time, not just when you're at the computer, but even when you're walking around throughout your day, those muscles are contracted a little bit all the time. And, you know, we see that a lot even in kids now because we're all looking down at our devices all the time. Um, there are tons of kids and teenagers with, with rounded shoulders and rounded backs because they've just gotten stuck in that position from, from choosing to do it um, so often. So, so Thomas Hanna learned all about muscle memory. Um, the big things that he, he discovered um, in his studies were first that you, that we can actually retrain these muscle memories. They're not permanent. We can retrain our nervous system to release that tension and um, change our posture and movement. And the big thing he discovered was how to do it, right? Because everybody wants to know how to do it. We think stretching, massage, popping bones back into place will do it. Um, but they don't. Thomas Hanna actually figured out how. Um, he learned all about the pandicular response, um, which is hardwired into all of our nervous systems. Um, even animals have it. So like when you see a dog or cat get up from a nap and they arch their back and stretch, we just call it stretching, but they're not, they're not really stretching. They're not like pulling on their muscles and expecting them to get longer. They're actually contracting muscles to wake them up. Um, and, you know, an example, I think a lot of people have felt if you're sitting at a computer for a long time and you get this urge to suddenly arch your back and, and stretch your arms upward, that's not a static stretch. It's you're actually contracting your back muscles to wake them up. Um, and what that does by consciously contracting and gently releasing your muscles, um, you're actually waking up your sensory motor system and you're sending the message to release that little bit of residual tension that has built up. So pendiculation is actually how we are designed to release muscle tension. It's this natural, natural function of our nervous system. It's how we are wired to release muscle tension. So once Thomas Hanna figured that out, he developed all these exercises that make use of the pendicular response. Um, so in his exercises, you slowly contract, you know, groups of muscles and then very, very slowly release them. And it sends this 
accurate biofeedback to your nervous system about the level of tension in your muscles. And it teaches your nervous system to let go of that residual tension. So by pendiculating um, your muscles on a regular basis, you know, day after day, you can gradually reduce that resting level of tension in your muscles. Um, and it's truly amazing. Like once you start indiculating every day, you'll never want to stretch again. Like I never, <laughs> I never have the urge to stretch. I used to be a totally uh, addictive stretcher every single day. Um, and you just never have that urge anymore because you just don't need to. Pendiculation actually works. Yeah, it's a very different way of achieving a relaxed state than we typically are taught. I think this is a good time to tell you a little bit about how I found your book. and. It's a, I'll, I'll give the short version, but essentially I was having, I had a plantar nerve impingement that popped up, which is nerve in the foot for those listening. It had popped up over the summer last year because my ankle got jammed from just high mileage training, nothing particularly acute, got jammed, caused some restrictions in my ankle. Typically I would find a way to release that because I have some practitioners that help me do that, but I didn't, I didn't have access to that because of the pandemic. So I kind of kept running on it. It caused this, the plantar nerve to, to be continuously pounded upon essentially and in a restricted state, which made it really angry and really inflamed. Ultimately, I was able to get the nerve impingement released, but the nerve itself was still mad <laughs> as you know about nervous system it takes a while sometimes to get the, the those signals to calm down and so last august i stopped running almost completely to try to get it to heal and was doing physical therapy a lot of nerve glides and and nerve flossing to try to get it to calm down and as a part of that process i also ended up having right knee pain on the same side which I discovered through my physical therapist was because my glutes had essentially deactivated. My quad was deactivated partially to likely protect against what was happening with the nerve. Mm -hmm. And so my leg wasn't moving normally, which then started causing knee pain. And it was this chain reaction that was really frustrating. And during that process, I became really fascinated with this idea of nervous system response as well as muscle activation and try to understand, well, gosh, if we could just, if I could get my muscles and nerves to know what was going on and to calm down and to work properly, then I think everything would be okay because <laughs> essentially the core acute problem had been addressed, but it was just the residual that was, that was still really bothering me. And so I started searching online for those terms, muscle activation, nervous system response. And that's how I came across your book. And at the time I was dealing with chronic pain, you know, it was chronic heel pain that pretty much bothered me during my runs and after my runs for about six months, found your book, started to really understand some of the concepts there, which were counter to what I've ever really learned as a running coach and dealing with running injuries, started doing particularly some of the, the plantar fascia related exercises. That video in particular became a go-to for me at just releasing the, the calves and the plantar. Um, and I think really helping the nerves around that area calm down. And it, it became the thing that allowed that to dissipate. 
And as a part of that, it was also this concept of awareness, which we'll talk about in a second, that made me become more aware of what I was feeling, which ultimately helped deal with the somatic uh, or the, the psychosomatic connection too as well. So anyway, that's a little context on how I found your book, but it's been a game changer at helping me deal with this heel injury and then made me realize that there's an application for other things as well, posture being certainly one of them. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about pain for a second. So I was experiencing chronic pain related to basically my nervous system being mad. Mm -hmm. But you write about different types of pain in the book. I've talked on the show about acute pain versus chronic pain before, but how do you think about pain generally? So um, in my practice, I like to um, think about kind of the, diff- the three different types of pain. You know, medically, they, they tend to separate pain into these kind of three different categories. Uh, for most people, uh, most of the time, if you experience some sort of chronic ache or pain, it falls into this first category, which is called nociceptive. Um, and that kind of pain is basically your nerve endings, um, are sensing that the tissues of your body are getting damaged or about to be damaged in some way. And they send, they send the signal to your brain, like, Hey, pay attention. Your body is about to get damaged or it's already getting damaged. And so your brain, you know, creates this unpleasant sensation of pain so that you pay attention so that hopefully you get yourself out of danger. So, you know, examples of this kind of pain are um, if you step on a nail or if you sprain your ankle or a muscle that is super tight and just never lets go and and feels sore all the time. Those are all those um, this first type of pain. And that's the vast majority of pain that that most people feel. Um, And then the second time, the second type is um, neuroplastic. And this happens, it tends to happen in um, cases of chronic pain. I mean, they say in as little as, as a few days um, after experiencing chronic pain, your nervous system starts to adapt to it. Um, and nervous system pathways actually do um, change in some ways so that you start experiencing your pain as being even worse than it is, um, which is really, really sad. Um, and it makes cases of chronic pain you know, harder and harder to get out of the longer you've been in it because you're just feeling more and more pain over time. Um, and then the last type is neuropathic and that happens when, um, nerves get, um, damaged because of injury or surgery or disease. Um, and there are more than a hundred different things that can cause neuropathic pain. Um, diabetes is a really common one, but also, um, autoimmune diseases, alcoholism, stroke, things like that. Um, and there are a lot of chronic cases of chronic pain where, you know, it might even be two or, or three different types of these pain kind of working together to keep you in pain too. And so as a running coach, I often tell people, you know, pain is your guide. Listen to it. It's telling you something, you know, any acute sort of pain that pops up, that's a signal to slow down, to stop, to adjust so that you're not hurting yourself. But then sometimes at some point it crosses over to being that chronic pain source that may or may not be quote unquote real or be associated with a real danger. So talk about that. Why does that happen? And how do we know which, which to listen to and which to not listen to? I mean, from my point of view, you know, the only type of pain you should ignore is a pain that, you know, 
you feel for a day and then it goes away and it literally never comes back again. Don't worry about that. You know, it was something fleeting and there's obviously not a chronic problem there because it never came back. Um, and that happens. But if you feel an ache or a pain that is pretty much always there or it's um, constantly kind of going away and coming back, it's recurring, you need to pay attention. And the sooner you pay attention, the better because your body is telling you something. Um, and we can jump into that that topic of awareness right here. Um, you know, the the more aware you are um, of what's going on in your body, the more quickly you can notice these little things. And this is so hugely important for athletes. Um, I can tell you, you know, I'm I don't like train really seriously, probably as seriously as you, but I work out six days a week. Um, and you know, I've gotten to the point now after doing somatics for 13 years. I can notice if the teeniest, tiniest thing is off in my body, like, oh, that thing feels a little weird. It's not painful, but it feels a little bit off. And, you know, in the, in the moment as I'm running or as I'm doing yoga or whatever, I can shift my posture, shift the way that I'm using my muscles and I can make it go away. And when you develop that, that really fine tuned ability um, to adjust the way you're using your body you know, you can avoid pain and injuries before they even happen. And it's, it's really incredible. And that's why developing the sense of internal awareness is so important. And I think for people who maybe uh, haven't taken the time to develop that internal awareness, or maybe you don't really get what that means, it might sound like something kind of new agey, like, oh, I have this, you know, heightened state of awareness or something, you know, it's like something that meditators talk about or something, but it's not, it's this extremely scientific thing it's your ability to sense what's going on in your body. And it just takes regular practice. It just day after day, if you tune in and close your eyes and do somatic movements um, and really take the time to notice what you're feeling in your body, your awareness will just continue to improve endlessly. And it is something you have to practice and work at. You know, you start all of your exercises on the videos with time at the beginning to be aware of what you're feeling and then time at the end to be aware of how things have changed after doing the exercises. And just that simple pause to take time, be aware of what you're feeling, starts to train you to notice things. Another thing though, I found on, on, or at least a different avenue of awareness, you know, obviously there's that initial awareness of if something's not right, you're getting that little bit of pain, you know that you need to make adjustments, making those adjustments, that's critical. But then for me, as it related to this heel injury, one of the parts of awareness that you talk about in the book that became really powerful was being aware of how what I was feeling in my right heel compared to what I was feeling in my left heel and equating those two things. Because one thing I discovered was that some of the pain I was feeling on the right was actually very similar to the for, to pain I might feel on the left if I stood out of bed in the morning, for example, that first step out of bed when everything's kind of tightened up after a night's sleep. Mm -hmm. And yet my brain had been telling me that the right was worse and that the problem mm -hmm. was on the right and that, you know, I needed to coddle my right heel. Mm -hmm. But I began to be aware that I was also feeling some of those things on the left, which somehow then brought the pain threshold on the right down okay. by just that simple conscious awareness of, hey, this actually isn't as bad. It's actually pretty normal related to what I feel on both sides. Mm -hmm. it, it became more subtle in a way just through that form of awareness, which I thought was also interesting. Yeah, that is really interesting. Um, 
one piece of advice I give to people, which is kind of related to that, is that um, you know the more the more you you know mentally tense up around that painful area, the more you will then physically tense up around it. You know, which you experienced. You um, adjusted your posture and your movement to protect that injury, right? Um, and you ended up changing the way you were using the the right leg muscles. Um, and the more kind of you know mental and physical attention you give to that painful area, the more you're going to be aware of that pain and the more you're going to tighten up around it, um, which just ends up making it worse in the long run. So even though it's really, really hard when you're in pain um, to relax and forget about it, uh, for a lot of types of pain, the more you can just relax and try to move normally, you know, gently, but normally, um, the faster that pain can, can often go away, especially if it's related to tight muscles. If you can just gently move normally and not, not tighten up muscles around that area, um, often the pain can just gradually go away. And awareness is that really that first step of just being aware of what's happening. Okay. Let's take a quick break from that conversation to talk about my partnership with a company called Care Of. You can find them at takecareof.com. They are a wellness brand that will provide you with those daily vitamins and supplements for you to feel healthy and strong. I've been using them for my daily vitamin D supplementation, but I've also now added various things to my daily packs based on the personalization provided by the site. So what can you do? You can go to the site and certainly you can build your own daily packs, but they will also give you the opportunity to take this online quiz that will, based on your goals, provide you with recommendations for what you might want to try in those daily packs. As a part of that process, those recommendations will be provided to you and they will give you the science and research behind each one of those things. And they're very transparent about it. They'll tell you what's good on the scientific side and maybe what might be more questionable so you can make those decisions for yourself on what to include in those daily packs. And once you put stuff in the pack, you can know that all of those items are clean and high quality. They're also very transparent about the ingredients that come with everything you might add to those daily packs. So what I would say is go to careof.com, take that quiz, get the recommendations. And again, you can also add to your daily packs things you might already need and be taking because here we are in February. January was all about New Year's resolutions and February the reality is hit about continuing this year and so it's about those small steps, those little victories, maybe those daily vitamin packs as with my daily vitamin D in order to stay healthy and strong here in 2021. So go check it out at takecareof.com. You can use the offer code ROGUE50 that's R-O-G-U-E-5-0 for 50% off your first order at TakeCareOf.com. Again, that's offer code ROGUE50, R-O-G-U-E, all lowercase, 5-0 in order to get 50% off your first order. Go check it out. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Sarah. Let's talk, let's talk about the connection between stress and pain because I think a lot of times when we have injury, we also tend to be carrying stress that might prevent us really from working through what we're dealing with because there's that stress response getting in the way as well. So how does that come into the equation? Yeah, stress and pain um, are just hugely related. The connection is huge and, and it goes both ways. Um, 
So even if you have no stress in your life to start with, if you get into a, a chronic pain situation, um, you'll end up feeling stressed because of it. You know, pain activates the stress response. Our body knows that something is wrong. Um, being in chronic pain, you know, it takes away your focus. You just can't focus on anything else because you're feeling that pain all the time. Um, it changes your, your mood on a chemical level. I mean, it's really tough to feel happy when you're in pain and when chronic pain goes on for a long time, a lot of people develop anxiety and depression, um, because of that. Um, and being in pain can be really stressful if it affects your life. Like if you can't work, if you can't take care of your kids or keep up with your daily responsibilities, that's incredibly stressful. And then there's also the stress of feeling like other people don't understand, you know, maybe your health providers don't take you seriously, or you don't get a definitive diagnosis, which is a problem for a lot of pain sufferers. Um, maybe your loved ones don't really understand what you're going through, you know, because if you haven't felt chronic pain, you really don't know what it's like. Um, so they might not appreciate how tough it is. Um, so yeah, being in chronic pain is just really stressful. And then the stress you feel from being in chronic pain just makes the pain worse because it goes the other way too, um, for two reasons. One is that, um, pain activates the, the stress response. And part of the stress response is that we tighten up our muscles. We have this heightened level of muscle tension all the time. Um, and muscle tension just creates tons of, of problems. You know, any, any pain you have in your body that, um, you know, it's going to be made worse by, by tensing your muscles up. So it can, you know, put more pressure on joints, make muscles more sore and painful, compressed nerves, all that. Um, and then stress also makes pain worse because um, because stress makes us experience pain, um, worse. It heightens the experience of pain, um, in the brain. And so they actually give, um, anti, anti-anxiety medications to chronic pain sufferers and that those meds reduce their pain because they reduce the stress response by reducing the anxiety. They're actually experiencing less pain. Yeah. And I can tell you, Stress definitely was affecting my chronic heel pain for sure. Now, as runners, most of us understand this idea of muscle tension. You know, we're kind of constantly fighting it, <laughs> whether it be because we think we need to stretch or some of us do foam rolling to try to work out muscle tightness that might manifest. A lot of us do massage. And so those are the modalities at which I think we're most familiar. So this idea of somatic movement really is counter to all of that once you really understand it. But first, let's talk about those typical modalities for dealing with chronic pain and tension. We'll start with medication because, you know, that's an obvious place to turn. But then let's talk about stretching and massage as well. Sure. Yeah. So as far as meds, um, you know, I'm not against short-term use of medication, um, I think in some cases it can be really helpful to give your nervous system a break, you know, if you're really suffering, um, you know, so taking meds for a few days or maybe even a few weeks on and off is it's not a terrible thing for sure. And it can even, um, in some cases help prevent, um, future chronic pain from developing, you know, by giving your nervous system a break, then you are less likely to, to develop that oversensitization of the nervous system. So you know, in the short term, it's not a bad thing, but you just need to know that the pain meds are not solving your problem. You know, when you stop taking the meds, your, your problem will still be there. And that's really the problem with meds is that they don't address the underlying problem, which is that you need to change the way that you're using your body. Yeah. Um, and then as far as massage, 
I love massage. You know, it feels fantastic. I get a few massages a year as, as a treat for myself. Um, and it has a lot of therapeutic benefits, you know, um, the power of touch, you know, and it, it has chemical effects on the body. So I'm in no way against massage, but, um, it has its limitations, you know, it just, it doesn't retrain the nervous system. You know, that's something that has to be done by each of us to ourselves, you know, on the inside. Um, so as much as massage can temporarily reduce um, the level of tension in your muscles, you know, it's very temporary, you know, within a few hours or by the next day, your muscles will, will tighten back up to their normal level of tension. And then stretching. Yeah. So stretching, um, can be a big topic. Um, when I was a dancer, I stretched constantly, you know, I was completely addicted to it. I stretched every night for at least half an hour and I would hold stretches for a long period of time. Um, and I really felt like it worked. Um, it was also the only thing that I knew how to do to release my tension. You know, um, the thing about static stretching, and when I say static stretching, I mean pulling on a inactive or passive muscle and just expecting it to get longer, right? Which it might get longer to a point, but all our muscles have this level of tension that's being set by our nervous system. And if you pull on your muscle past that point, your stretch reflex will get activated. Um, and the stretch reflex, which is the myotatic reflex, um, it's a nervous system reflex that, um, it's a survival mechanism and, and it's there to protect us. So if you suddenly stretch a muscle past the point where it wants to go, your stretch reflex kicks in and automatically contracts that muscle so that you don't tear your muscle fibers and don't tear your connective tissues. Um, so an example is like when the doctor taps the tendon below your knee, that actually stretches the quadriceps muscle and it makes your foot kick, kick up. So your doctor is, is testing to make sure that your stretch reflex is active because it's really important that it's, that it's working. Um, so that's basically why stretching doesn't work. I mean, if you hold a stretch for a long time, like more than a minute or so, you can temporarily reduce the activity of the stretch reflex, which is definitely what I used to do for myself when I was dancing. I would hold my stretches for a long time and afterward I would get up. And I would feel all nice and loose and relaxed, but you know, by the next day I had tightened right back up again because my stretch reflex had regained normal function. Um, so, you know, if you want a quick fix, go ahead and stretch, but you need to know that it's not, it's not accomplishing anything in the long term. It's not changing the messages that your nervous system is sending to your muscles to stay tight. Um, and you can also run the risk of hurting yourself. I mean, you can overstretch and pull a muscle for sure. Um, and you know, once I stopped stretching and started only pandiculating, I became so aware of how unpleasant stretching actually is. <laughs> like when you pull on a muscle and it's like, ow, that hurts. It's like, yeah, it hurts. Like, don't do it. You're not, <laughs> your muscle is not getting longer and it feels really bad and you're not accomplishing anything. So, but, but that's like kind of a level of sensitivity and awareness that you kind of need to develop. And, you know, for me, I needed to finally stop stretching completely and start only doing somatics for me to get that level of, of sensation and awareness to feel the difference. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit counterintuitive. You know, I think most of us think, well, it makes sense if I want to lengthen a muscle to stretch it, you know, make it longer. But somatics is completely the opposite of that. And I know it's hard to explain by picture, but if you could explain how it works uh, verbally, that would be helpful. And then of course, I'll link to some of the videos in in the show notes so people can test it out themselves. But but why is it different? What are you doing in a somatic movement 
that's different than stretching? Sure. And first, let me go back a step. So yeah, maybe it does seem to make sense that pulling on a muscle would make it longer, but our muscles are not, you know, a piece of silly putty. You can't just pull on it and make it longer, right? Um, Our muscles are being controlled by our nervous system, right? And that's why you can't just pull on it and make it longer. That's why no outside force can make it longer. It's, it's being controlled by the nervous system. So the nervous system messages have to change in order to allow the muscle to get longer. That's, I don't know, that makes sense to me. Um, (laughs) So, so in somatic clinical somatics exercises, um, when we do pandiculations, we, you're right, it is tough to explain it verbally, uh, but basically we, contract a group of muscles, which generally involves, you know, lifting up a body part, say lifting up your arm um, in order to contract your upper trapezius, right? We lift it up through a range of motion until the until you've contracted your upper trap as much as you want to. And then you release it extremely slowly against gravity. Um, the slower, the better. And the slower you release it, the more uh, feedback you're sending to your nervous system about the actual level of tension in your muscles. Um, and so the slower you release, um, against gravity, um, the more benefit you'll get from the movement. Um, yeah, so you want me to explain it more than that. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. You're shortening the muscles in order to essentially get everything to relax around it and then slowly moving it back to the normal position so that you're sending that feedback in a way that sticks basically. Yeah. I mean, the kind of, the kind of the way I've explained it to people that I've talked to you about recently is that when you stretch or when you do something that creates muscle, muscle, muscle tension, that's activating that flight or fight response. It's putting you into a, a heightened state in a sense. And when that happens, everything tenses up so that you're ready to sort of go and do what you need to do. And in this situation, by shortening the muscle, you're actually putting it into a more relaxed state, allowing it to calm down. And then you gradually move it back to a normal state in order to solidify that relaxed state. That's sort of the way I've tried to describe it. I don't know if that's good or not. It's not good or bad. It's maybe not exactly how I would uh, <laughs> explain it. Uh, so the purpose of the contraction, um, let's see if I can explain, explain this well. Let's say my uh, Let's say my shoulders are really tight. Let's say my upper traps are contracted at about 30% all the time, okay? Um, my nervous system is subconsciously sending those messages. And no matter what I do, I can't just sit here and like tell them to relax. They just won't let go. Okay. Um, that's, that's what I would call the resting level of tension in the muscles. Um, first I have to like wake them up. I have to start, um, and and let me backtrack here. The nervous system, um, it's not accurately sensing how much tension is in the muscle. Um, the nervous system and our sense of proprioception, our internal sense of our body, it has adapted. So it's, it's really not aware. I'm not aware of how tense those muscles actually are. Mm-hmm. So in order to kind of wake up that awareness and cue our nervous system into being aware of how much tension there is, um, first, I need to contract those muscles and I need to contract them well past that resting point. You know, maybe I'll contract them up here to like 80 or 90% so I can really wake them up. And you've, you've probably sensed that by doing some of the exercises, it, it feels really good to, to contract your muscles through a range of motion. It kind of feels like you're wringing out the tension and waking them up. So you do that, you contract up to a point where it feels good up to to the point where you want to contract. 
um, and that has woken up the nervous system. And it's and at that point, you're starting to send really accurate feedback about this is the actual level of tension in the muscle. So you're you're basically resetting the nervous system by giving it accurate feedback. And then the more slowly you release um, against gravity, you're just continuing to send that accurate feedback all the way down through the whole range of motion. And then the farther you can go, you know, that bottom 30% is where my nervous system is really, has really forgotten how to release. And that's the most important part of the release. If I can keep consciously releasing past that 30% point, then I can make some progress. Um, and you won't do it the first time. It's a gradual process. Maybe that first time, maybe I'll release, you know, a few percentage points, you know, farther down. And every day it'll start getting a little bit less and a little bit less and I'll I'll be lowering that resting level of tension. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, it does. And I've experienced it because I've been doing the planter related exercises consistently. Now I do them every day. As you said, I got addicted. Just, just like you said, what happened? I got addicted. So now I'm doing those every day, which has caused a change in my calf tension and my ankle mobility that you know I just I wasn't aware of what I was holding there. And I think you know runners. We are likely carrying shoulder tension because a lot of us tend to slouch over because of we're in working positions. But I think more than that, we can also relate to leg tension, calf being a chronic place where runners tend to get tight. And so by experiencing the movements that, that you present there, it's really unbelievable what has happened to release the tension I was carrying in my calves, which ultimately helped me deal with my heel injury. Mm -hmm. So... Thank you for that. But as we, so now we've kind of talked a little bit about what those movements are like, and I appreciate those explanations. If, if we, if we now come up just a little bit to the core tenets of clinical somatics and how it all kind of fits together, not just with the specific movements, what are the key pillars of your way of thinking that you try to teach? You know, the absolute number one um, thing about clinical somatics and somatic education in general that sets it apart is that, you know, like I mentioned earlier, uh, we need to rely on ourselves. We are the ones who are responsible for our own health and functioning. We can't rely on anyone else, else to fix us. You know, like you experienced, you couldn't go to different health professionals and have them, you know, wave their magic wand and fix your pain. It was something that you had to do yourself and it's work that you have to do inside. Um, and that's a huge shift in thinking for a lot of people in our society. You know, we're taught to just rely on doctors and other professionals to tell us, you know, the decisions that we should make with our health. Um, but we need to become our own experts and we need to trust ourselves. Um, so that's that's really the biggest thing. And then it, when it comes to retraining the nervous system, you know, the big thing is that you have to do it yourself. It can't be done from the outside no amount of, um, you know, shifting bones back into place or, or massage or anything that anyone does to you is going to change the messages that your nervous system is sending to your muscles. It has to be done um, as a learning process by you. This is a good point. I think it's an important one to linger on because, you know, there's two sides. There's one, we have to take ownership, as you mentioned, because a part of that is also that everybody's going to experience a certain pain, injury, whatever may be in a unique way. So for example, for me, I've dealt with a host of injuries running related. And I can typically pull in insight from providers that I've seen that help me ultimately determine my own path 
through to pain-free running again. But, you know, so, so that's a part of it. Learning from others is a part of it. But at the end of the day, it was still my path. I still had to pave my own way and really take ownership of that process. And, and then modify and, and adjust as needed based on what I was experiencing versus just listening to somebody else and hoping that they fix me. Mm-hmm. So, so yes, there's that ownership, but I also, I mean, I think there's a place for getting insight, just like I'm getting insight from you of course, from providers. That's a part of the process, but then your ability to assimilate that information, apply it in your own world and then iterate as you need to is, is absolutely critical. Absolutely. Yeah. And and what I love about somatics exercises is that when you practice them on a regular basis, you know, ideally every day, uh, you just become better and better able to figure out what's going on in your own body. And like, I'm at the point where, you know, I'm certainly not going to say that I can't learn anything from anyone else about, about, you know, my muscle tension or anything, but somatics just gives you this complete picture of, of the way that you're using your body. And I don't think I need, you know, any other tool with, as far as that specific thing, you know, I could definitely use some running tips from you, you know, or, or tips from a personal trainer on, on building strength. But when it comes to muscle tension and retraining my posture and movement, I feel like, uh, somatics just gives me this unlimited wealth of knowledge. You know, the more you, the more you just keep using the exercises to explore your own body, the more you learn. Yeah, and it gives you philosophy too to kind of create your own movements. I, I think that's one thing I've experimented with is okay, well, what if I change this a little bit? You know, using the same philosophy of contracting and then slowly letting go against gravity, but you can almost apply it in infinite ways, which then, you know, allows you to become your own kind of your own doctor, so to speak. So let's talk a little bit in the specific now. So I know a lot of runners deal with similar problems over and over and over again. I've mentioned the exercises that you applied for plantar fasciitis. There's also some for sciatica that I've also experimented with because I've had that in the past before. But if we talk about a couple of specific cases of, of injuries that runners tend to have, what, you know, what do you think, what do you think about those? And then also what are the exercises that you're providing helping unlock to get through those issues? Sure. Yeah. And you had mentioned, um, sciatica and plantar fasciitis. So I'll talk about those. Um, so, you know, sciatica, just a brief explanation for anyone who isn't super familiar with it. Um, the sciatic nerve, um, exits the spine and the, the lowest part of the spine and the lumbar and sacral spine. So, if your spine is being compressed vertically, like if it's being squished down and your vertebrae and uh, discs are being squished together, it will compress the nerves that are exiting the spine. So that's what happens in sciatica. Your sciatic nerve uh, gets compressed as it exits the spine and that results in um, you know, shooting or burning pain down your legs and to your feet, um, maybe tingling, numbness, weakness. Um, and piriformis syndrome is really similar. And I'm guessing a lot of runners that you know probably have that too. So when the sciatic nerve passes through the piriformis muscle, which is a gluteal muscle, if your piriformis is tight, it can compress the nerve at that point as well. So the symptoms are the same. Um, It's just the compression is happening at a different point. So the patterns of tension that tend to lead up to sciatica and piriformis syndrome are just a lot of muscle tension in the lower back and glutes, um, which, you know, is very common among runners. So 
the way we work with it is pretty simple. You know, we do exercises that, that release the lower back and gluteal muscles. And in my practice, at least I've found that sciatica is something that often resolves pretty quickly um, by releasing the lower, the lower back and glutes. It's a pretty straightforward thing to work with. Um, and it helps if, you know, a runner or any other kind of type of athlete is willing to, to take a little break from their workout um, so that they're not making their muscles tense every day. If you can take a little break, a little step back uh, while we're going through that process of releasing the muscles, then you make quicker progress. Um, and then for plantar fasciitis, you know, what can be so frustrating, frustrating about that is that people focus on the area of pain. They just focus on trying to relieve the pain in their feet. But really, for most people, especially runners, there's this whole pattern of tension down the back. It starts in the lower back, the glutes, the hamstrings, uh, the calf muscles, the Achilles tendons, and the Achilles tendons pull on the muscles and connective tissues in the bottom of the feet. And that's where you end up feeling the pain and the inflammation. But really, it's this like whole pulley system of tension down the back of your body. And you really need to work with that whole pattern if you want lasting relief. Um, so again, that's a pretty straightforward thing to, to work with. And, you know, there were a few exercises, um, like you mentioned, um, that are included in my book for plantar fasciitis. And like, honestly, I'm super excited that you were able to solve your problem with just those few exercises because the, you know, the, the videos that I link to, they're just a small portion of the exercises and that I teach. Um, and you know, it's, it's just so fantastic that with those few exercises, you were able to, to fix your problem. Yeah, I think that should be encouraging too to runners <laughs> that there's a there's a pathway because both of those injuries in the past that I've had runners deal with or I've dealt with myself, they they tend to, at least through the common modalities, take a long time to heal. And you know, this pathway I think is a much quicker way, which is encouraging because we all want to get back to what we love to do. So a couple more questions. I want to talk next just about the the whole picture because obviously there's a mind body balance that we're trying to achieve and as runners and athletes we're always pressing 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 trying to get that next goal and you know it's it's one thing to think okay well how do i deal with the acute injuries when they pop up and have inter acute interventions but there's also a lifestyle element to what you're teaching about how to release general tension that will hopefully ultimately prevent some of these things from happening altogether. So talk about that bigger picture. Sure. Yeah, that's, you know, that's a big question. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of self-care and sometimes the advice that I give to people kind of goes beyond my actual scope of practice as a somatic educator. You know, really my job is just to teach exercises and help you retrain your nervous system. But I just have this uh, very broad interest in health and wellness and, and balance and stress and stuff like that. So I do tend to kind of go beyond uh, my scope of work and, and give kind of broad advice to people. But um, yeah, the more you can reduce your stress and have, you know, a healthy balance in your life, um, the better. And, you know, a healthy balance will be a little different for everyone. Um, but, you know, we're all human beings. So there's some basic things that we need. Um, and unfortunately, I think a lot of people's lives are a little bit out, a little bit out of balance when it comes to the amount that they work, uh, the amount of stress that they've adapted to and that they're willing to put up with, or the amount of stress that they think is, you know, acceptable or even desirable or admirable. You know what I mean? Um, and I wish people would make self-care and balance, you know, a top priority in their lives because, um, it could help prevent so many health conditions besides just chronic pain. 
and it just would allow you to enjoy your life so much better, <laughs> so much more, you know, you only live once. Um, but you know, there's some really basic things like getting eight hours of sleep. We, you know, we're human beings. We all need eight hours of sleep. Um, we all need to get outdoors. We all need regular exercise. We all need to release our muscle tension on, you know, on a very regular basis. Um, we need to find constructive ways to reduce our stress. And, you know, I found if you're sticking to healthy habits and you have balance in your life, then a lot of your daily stress is, is reduced, but if you have, you know, big issues that you're dealing with, um, that keep coming up for you, you know, I tell so many people to go, to go to talk therapy. Um, it's, it's just such a huge, uh, hugely effective way to, um, to release your stress, to speak out loud about what's bothering you. Um, there's just no substitute for talk therapy when, when you're dealing with stress that keeps coming up in your life. Um, you know, give yourself some downtime, you know, don't feel guilty about taking some time to relax and do absolutely nothing, you know, and, and do things that are fun. Like I'm reading this book called play right now. And it's about the scientific importance of play in our lives. Like do things that have no goal or purpose, like do them just because they're fun, you know? Yeah. Um, and of course eating a healthy diet, which most athletes are very concerned with, but, um, you know, of course it's really important too. So I'm, I'm very interested in, you know, always having a very well-rounded balanced approach to life, not overdoing anything. Yeah. And I think the thing to underscore there is that it all is related. You know, I think sometimes we compartmentalize these experiences and think this running injury is an isolated event. I need to solve it. Once it's healed, move on, you know, move on to the next but the relationship between stress and balance in life with what you might be experiencing from an injury standpoint is more connected than you think. And so making sure we're taking the time to, to create balance all around will only help deal with these issues or prevent them potentially if they might pop up. The other thing I'll say, at least as a plug for your book, is some of the basic posture exercises that you have, I've found a, an are really meditative in a way. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a, a practitioner of meditation. At least I struggle with it as, a, as someone with an active mind. Mm -hmm. But those exercises, you know, because it's very focused on slow movement and breathing and all those things. And then awareness helped me kind of get, I think, a little bit of a meditative experience without calling it that. <laughs> so, so, you know, even just doing those simple things can help create that balance. All right. Last question. Yep. Obviously we'll point people to your book to, to check that out. And, but if someone wants to learn more and maybe even find a somatic educator in their area, mm -hmm. what do they do to learn more? Sure. So there are different ways to learn these exercises. Um, you can learn them through one-on-one -on -one sessions with a practitioner and of course, most of those sessions right now are being done via Zoom. So in theory, you could work with a practitioner anywhere in the world right now, which kind of opens up your possibilities, which is cool. Um, so you can search in your area. Um, also on my website and the um, FAQs page, I have links to um, the different training schools, which all have lists of their certified practitioners. So you can look at those lists, find someone near you. Um, you can also learn through group classes and there are group classes online um, on Zoom right now. Some practitioners are offering those. Um, and then I offer online courses. Um, so, you know, anyone anywhere in the world can sign up for those online courses. They're available all the time. You can sign up anytime. Um, and in my level one and two courses, I teach a total of 40 exercises that work with all parts of the body. So you can go through those courses, 
um, explore every exercise and you find the ones that work for you. And as you get comfortable with the exercises, you kind of gradually develop this daily sequence that, that addresses your unique patterns of tension. So, you know, I love when people learn from my online courses because they can really take this exploratory approach, learn all of the exercises and, and figure out what's best for them. Awesome. And those can be found at somaticmovementcenter.com. I'll link that in the show notes as well. Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time with me today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for helping me get through my injury and for showing showing me a, a new way. Uh, this is uh, really fascinating stuff and powerful. So thank you. Oh, thank you for having me on. It was really fun to chat with you. So there you go. Sarah Warren, everyone talking about somatic movement therapy. I will include the link in the show notes to the book that she has written, as well as to some of the sample exercises that we talked about. If you want to just try it and dig into it a little bit, the one thing I will say, if you do try it, is that it does tend to take a few sessions, a few days to actually make a difference. So if you're going to invest time in it, then make sure you, you, you try these exercises over the course of two or three days before you'll really start to notice a difference. It's made a huge difference for me. I hope it also makes a huge difference for you. So with that, we'll wrap this episode. Thanks again to Sarah Warren for joining me. Thanks also to my partner, Care Of, for the offer they've provided to you guys. If you want to take advantage of that, you can go to takecareof.com and use the code ROGUE50. Otherwise, you can check us out at Rogue Running at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. I will be back to you with another episode next week. We will talk to you then.